This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at Jerry Fire and Fuel. There are just times I am in bed and my mind is obsessing about some of the stupidest things, let alone calls and the stresses of the job and stuff like that. And right. I, that's probably fairly common for people, I would imagine, in the first responder world. Is that what you find? It is. It's, it's sort of a, a, a human condition. Um, but I think also probably even more so for those that are first responders and in public safety, because the nervous system is also up level than always in a slight, you know, activation, maybe even more than slight. Yeah. So everything is going to be sort of a step up. There's never really what, what one may consider, okay, I'm baseline, but the baseline is still <laughs> in an activated state, right? right? Whether you even realize it or not. So there's never really that ability to truly recover because you're never really coming down all the way back to baseline. I felt like like many other people, I had an addiction to social media, to Snapchat, Instagram, and it was so frustrating for me because I never felt like enough. Like you post something and you're like, oh, it's not good enough. I saw somebody else's or like, I need to stay up and look like I'm on it all the time when it's not the reality. And I just like felt like after the, I saw the accident, I saw how fragile and tangible real life really is in front of me. I realized um, that stuff is not that important. And I was feeling so much anxiety to check my phone. Like, and I hated that. I felt like I was a slave to my device. Like I felt like I had no control and it just gave me the power to like, to get off. The only thing I'm using right now is Facebook to stay in touch with family. But like, I just like, it gave me the power to get off. And the next day when I had, on um, two days later and I had to work on Monday. It was interesting. So, yeah. I, I bet that's probably a whole different type of transport, you know, doing if they're mostly hospice patients, cause that's right. Those people are, are expected to pass away soon. Yeah. And so yeah. conversations are probably a lot different with them. It is. It's a lot different. And your interaction with them is, is on a, unique level, I think, because you're this stranger that walks into this situation where there may be lots of emotions going on, family members present. And so you really have to uh, be very considerate and also use your words wisely. And really, it's where you can really begin to develop and employ the the um, attributes that are so important for responders like compassion and humility and how did like how do you get out of that that trap how did you would you find yourself in it what's your advice to get out of that trap because it happens to every single one of us anybody that works any job if you're you try to avoid redirect and continue on in a positive manner but you you get sucked in at times Really, you do. Yeah, you know, it's two things. Um, because of course, you know, now I coach a lot of people, um, first responders, but people in all walks of life and they all have different jobs. And a lot of them ask me this. I think I have two pieces of advice. The first is physically remove yourself. You know, I, I physically would remove myself, but the other thing that I would do is I just I bl- I make it like so obvious that I just can't hear what they're saying. Like, like when somebody's like, Can you believe this guy? I'm like, Yeah, I can what? Because you have 
negativity. They're just misery loves company. So that's all people want. I like it. What advice would you give someone that is maybe struggling with some of the things that you've gone through in your life? I've heard you say them, you know, I probably, but how about let's, let's reinforce those. Well, you know, the biggest thing is, is, you know, uh, gain some perspective. I mean, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in your own struggles and your, the situation that you're feeling at that moment and, you know, think that the whole world's coming down, but the whole world isn't coming down. You know, if you, if you just lost a loved one, you got to understand that death happens and none of us are going to escape it. You know, someday we're going to be at a time where we're closing our eyes for the last time, whether we know it or not. Um, you're going to go through the hardship of someday losing a parent. You're going to go through the death of friends. Fam- I mean, it, it's inevitable. Um, and you need to process your emotions. You need that. You can't control that, but you can control yourself. So how do you do that? Um, for someone like you, my question would be, do you really need all, do you really need that extra shift? Because you need to sleep. There are three pillars to physical, to, to health, to physical fitness stimulation, nutrition, and rest. Rest. (laughs) If you take one of those out, your body does not work properly. Stimulation, which is moving your body in some way. um, And that can be as simple as a walk. You can find the time in the day in little bits. And that's what I teach people all the time is in one hour a day, you can take care of yourself physically, mentally, spiritually. And you think to yourself, I don't have an hour. I know you're thinking that. You're thinking, I'm tired. I want to sleep. Well, and if that's what you're thinking, yes, you need sleep. So do that and spend more than one hour doing it because sleeping also helps you spiritually and mentally. I I know my wife doesn't like, she doesn't like to be alone. How how did you get to the point where you you were okay of being alone? I'm laughing because (laughs) (laughs) I really wasn't okay in the beginning. Yeah. A few things that have helped have definitely been realizing that being lonely is a choice. So being alone is not a choice that a lot of us have as first responder partners or even as first responders. That's a fact, but being lonely is an emotional state and we get to choose if we want to dwell in the emotion of lonely or not. Um, So giving myself the choice was really helpful. And then also not comparing my relationship to other people's, especially, you know, on Instagram, you see, oh, your husband's home every night. You guys get to sleep in the same bed (laughs) together. And I'm like, man, I wish I had that, which builds almost a resentment and it makes your loneliness even stronger. So that's been something that I've learned not to compare. To really progress, you know, you're going to need a master's degree, right? Um, You need to have jobs that are responsible. How do you get those responsible jobs? Right. So you start looking at um, what it takes to uh, to progress. Right. You know, you could take it, look at it as boxes to check. I need to check these boxes. But how do I check these boxes in a way that's going to be beneficial and help me grow and progress? Or am I just going to merely exist? Right. Am I going to float along with a military career and just hope I stay? No, I mean, I wanted to do stuff. And so I guess it became inherent in me. And maybe from from day one, it was always there, just small, and it grew over time. But I wanted to progress, you know? So I got a master's degree, you know, my second assignment. 
So I, I knocked that out early and the military sent me to do that, which was, which is awesome. It was my job to get a master's degree. I mean, how awesome is that? And then later they sent me to get another one, which is fantastic. But yeah, because you're right. People do want to like give service or give financial and do other things for you. But I think maybe is it our pride that sometimes gets in our way to like letting these people help us and serve us? What's your thoughts? Yeah, totally. I think that it is. I think that we, you know, think that we can handle things on our own and we don't want help from people. But that from that experience, I learned like there's a time and place for everything. Like there's a time that you need help and then there's a time that you can serve people. And so for me, after that experience, I just realized like there's, there's times especially now for me, where I can be of service to people, whether it's just calling them or taking them dinner one night, just simple things. It really helps people out and don't feel bad if you're not in that time where you can't do that right now. I mean, it it is is difficult on both sides, right? To, to, to navigate that relationship when you're gone for long periods of time. Yeah. But for us, it worked because I think it, um, it uh, forced us and enabled us to to stay independent and stay um, stay in ourselves in our in our the codependency that can come along with relationships that I had had in the past where it's all or nothing right right out of the gate and it, you, I just lost myself and that's when I was nineteen years old and found myself I. Uh, with suicide ideations, um, because I just lost myself completely. And so um, the the structure that came along with firefighting worked for the both of us. Why is there such a direct, uh, direct correlation between what we eat and how we feel both physically and mentally? So I feel like um, so much of that comes down. I think there's more and more research going into our gut health and kind of how we feel our gut is how we feel our brain. Um, so some of our, um, you know, feel good hormones are kind of uh, harvested in our gut. And so when we are fueling it with fiber and lots of antioxidant rich food and lots of uh, phytonutrients or, um, you know, polyphenols, all the things that are abundant in really bright, colorful fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts and seeds, all of those things that help fuel our gut. Um, there's a direct correlation between those foods and our brain. So 20% or 20 to 25% of the food that we eat helps to fuel our brain. So when we make those really great food choices, then naturally um, our mood and our hormones are going to help us to feel better too. Um, and I think the other thing is just the overall feeling. And I don't think very many, if any first responders want to go to therapy like that. Cause we're just, we don't want to talk about our feelings very much, right. at least not in, right. in settings like that. And then with, uh, you know, having a canine there. Sometimes it's hard to go. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go through those professional channels because you should. Yeah. But, and, you know, like I always say, what I'm doing, words aren't even really needed. Um, you know, uh, they're doesn't need to be any words expressed. If someone wants to open up and talk, awesome. Cause I, I'll listen. I'm a good listener, but I, we don't need to talk just, you know, me and Tio coming in and someone just chilling out with us and hanging with Tio, or we have just have a cup of coffee and we don't even really talk about the underlying problem, but I think it's actually helping um, that individual in the problem um, with 
with them uh, not even knowing it. Um, you know, that's um, kind of what I envisioned. And that's what impact do you want to make in the world? Uh, personally, and I, I think you've given me a great opportunity even to to do it here. And it's just the, the normalization of mental wellness. And um, if I can impress, impress upon people the importance of it and making it okay to talk about, making it okay to feel, um, understanding that like it's okay not to be okay and not be sure even what to do with that, but know that you can go and talk to people who can help you make sense of it is really important. And as a person who's been there and thinking like, there's just, it's not going to get better and, and it's time to end things. Um, it does get better. Whatever you're going through will, will get better. And, uh, you just got to reach out for, for help and ask for it. Um, I've, I'm, I'm unique in the PIO world that I've got sleeve tattoos too. And, uh, my most recent sleeve includes a, a lyric from a song called tragedy in time. And it's, uh, despite the overwhelming odds tomorrow came. The cost of training somebody new, the overtime to cover that shift while you're bringing in somebody new, just all of it, it, there is a very significant cost savings to it. But beyond that, first responders are willing to put their life on the line. Firefighters are putting their life on the line every day. We owe it to them. And that's why, you know, it was just heartbreaking to me to see Lillian's story and what she's had to go through since then. And to see all of the states that did not have the presumptive coverage. Um, I'm embarrassed, but happy at the same time. Florida was one of the last states to get presumptive coverage. I was crying, literally crying when it finally passed the legislature. But it took a few people just hammering the message home. And I hear a lot in the military when we think of mental health in the military. There's four letters everybody always talks about. PTSD. PTSD is real. Post-traumatic stress. I got a truth is I was never diagnosed. I am blessed because of that. I think I handled my situation overseas very well uh, mentally. I mean, but everybody's different. Everybody's different. Sure. What I, I see society doing nowadays is they didn't want the same mistake of how they treated our veterans coming home from Vietnam. And they're, I mean, I can't believe how many charities and nonprofits and 501c3s that are created after 9-11 just to help our culture, the military culture, okay? Like, it's amazing. It really is. And it's, it humbles up. The one thing I worry about, though, is I think they assume, some people, and I'm only, I'm only saying this because of my experience, they assume all of us have post-traumatic stress. Um, but that's when I knew it was really, really, really bad. Yeah. I remember and seeing all the pictures on TV from yeah. the footage coming in over there and how devastating it was. Yeah. And actually my dad was the first contact that the U S had with Haiti. Um, CNN Wolf Blitzer called world vision. Oh, my dad was the national director there and they called like a minute after the earthquake had happened wow. and my dad knew nothing he's just like right yeah i don't know yeah, yeah. Figure it out. um but yeah my dad was the, the first contact on from the u.s to haiti um so to continue that morning off um made a list of supplies we would need um thinking through good questions to do that but there now we're teaching somebody to fish instead of giving them the fish and now you have a bunch of people that are able to 
functionally interact the way you would interact if you're at that high level of knowledge and skills, you know, but it takes time to develop that stuff. And it takes, you know, training in those things. And it takes, you know, follow-up coaching to ensure that those things are happening. And the coaching doesn't have to be a lot of stuff. They're like, in our five laws with the, with the book Behavioral Karma, yeah. we have a simple system where people self-monitor and report out, right? Like what they're doing. And so you're like, it could be a checklist of what they're doing. And that checklist can serve just as a reminder of, you know, the things that they have been trained on. And, uh, you know, did you do this or did you not do this today? You know, uh, and right. then there's, we have a reciprocal feedback where it's sent to somebody, you know, whoever their coach is, and that may be a sergeant, lieutenant, I don't know. And then they say, okay, this looks good. You know, I noticed you didn't do this. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? And then you intermittently check, you know, for quality assurance. Forests recently, um, I'm going to say this, especially during COVID when the people were asked to stay home, like we <laughs> hit, this is again, not a record she'd be proud of, but um, last year in 2019, I have to do math in my head, in 2019, I believe it was like at the end of the season, we had had 237 human caused fires in Utah at the end of the season. We hit that record in May last year because yeah. all of a sudden these people were cooped up in their house and they we had a really warm spring and they were sick of being home because of the coronavirus and they just did mass exodus out into the forest and we had starts all the time. So you have a lot of peop more people out in the forest and um, you know we've got drought conditions going on all over the West right now, which is definitely.